Today starts the beginning of the new year in our church calendar. It's the first Sunday of Advent, and we are asked to collectively restart our walk with God. The vestments and draperies turn blue. You get the sense something new is happening. And because we may still be nursing our tryptophan hangover from Thanksgiving turkey, or we're already caught in the blaze of the consumer culture's move, rapid move toward Christmas, it's easy to forget this new beginning. Which is a shame, because Advent is the one season of the year when we can remind ourselves how entirely out of sync we are called to be with the broader consumer-driven Christmas narrative. It's a time when we can dig deeper into ourselves and start to understand what to look for, what to seek as we strive for the true reason for the season. And spoiler alert, it's not about the gifts around the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. We often describe Advent as a season of anticipation, or of waiting, or of preparation. And all of these are true, but I think Advent can also be described as a season of longing, of yearning for something that is hard-coded into our very being, hoping it can finally break through. And this yearning is what makes the consumerist Christian narrative so compelling, Christmas narrative so compelling. Society tells us in every way possible that our yearning is attached to that perfect Christmas gift, either given or received, or that perfectly decorated Christmas tree or prepared holiday meal or even a baked, perfectly baked plate of cookies, and that once we get it, this yearning will be taken care of, will be satisfied, until we're not. One of my earliest Christmas memories was a Christmas morning when I was maybe eight or nine years old. The family was gathered in the living room near the tree and gifts were being distributed, some from Santa, some from other members of the family. And I convinced myself that for weeks, for the weeks leading up to that day, that complete Christmas satisfaction, Christmas nirvana, would be found in getting a Rock'em Sock'em Robots toy. You remember those? So ads for the colorful device had run nonstop on Saturday mornings with the familiar refrain, oh, you knocked my block off. When one of the fighting robots had succumbed to a surprise uppercut from its opponent and its head would sort of extend and shoot up into the, uh, away from its body. And meanwhile, two toe-headed boys, much like myself, laughed and screamed in the background. But that Christmas morning, I sat in my chair and I was still a little sleepy, and I felt sad. There was no Rock'em Sock'em Robots toy to be found. And my mom, seeing my despair, told me to look beside the tree. Hallelujah! In my Christmas miracle, Santa had delivered and I had my treasured toy. I tore open the box and pulled the brightly colored gadget out. But it didn't shine as brightly as it had on the TV. The buttons that controlled the robot's arm felt cheap and difficult to press. The robot's movements were awkward and slow. The satisfying sound of victory as the robot's head flew up making a sound wasn't quite as satisfying as it was in real life as it was on TV. And there was nobody else there to fight against, to laugh and scream, oh, you knocked my block off. And mine's not the only story of Christmas disappointment, I know. But I never forgot that sinking feeling that came with the realization that this toy, that maybe any toy, wouldn't quench my yearning, my longing for meaning that I faced that Christmas morning. 
and I vowed to myself never to be fooled again. And in later years, my mom or dad would complain that I had more fun with the box that the toy came in than the toy itself, which was true. The box didn't have the power to disappoint me. And this, I say this because this is just one example of how our culture's Christmas narrative is so enticing, yet so deceiving. You see, it tries to place this longing that we have, this yearning for meaning, it tries to place it onto a thing or an event. And it does a fantastic job of it. Whether it's the Hallmark Channel's 24 Days of Christmas, or our own nostalgia for simpler Christmases past, or the quest for the perfect gift, or ornament, or tree, or cookie, or experience, all of these are ways we can let the cultural Christmas narrative eclipse the true reason for the season. And this is why the Advent season is so important for us. You see, it's our chance, our reminder, to step outside that false story and make ourselves ready for the next Advent, to be found in Christ's return. It's in that narrative that we find our true meaning. It's in that narrative that we, begin, that we can start to quench this enduring longing, our never-ending yearning, our hunger. You may have noticed the Gospel reading on the first Sunday of Advent is always an apocalyptic statement of the end times. And it's a jarring reminder that this is not the pretty baby in a manger Christmas story that you might expect, given it's December. We get to that later. Instead, it's a call for the end of creation. In the coming weeks, it may be easy to forget just how brutal this first reading is, as we meet John the Baptist in the desert and then in the jail, or Joseph is visited by the angel in a dream. You see, those guys have assumed bit parts in our cultural Christmas narrative cultural Christmas story. So the readings can lull us back to complacency if we're not careful, but not this week. Now this week's reading feels more at home with a fire and brimstone, the end is coming, repent all you sinners tirade than the start of Advent, the start of a light the first candle kind of story. And many recovering fundamentalists or fans of the Left Behind series from the 90s, or maybe both, will recognize the rapture in the parables of the two men in the field and the two women at the grinder. One is taken to salvation, the other continues living what is presumed to be a miserable life here. Or the poor souls who are simply eating, drinking, and marrying in Noah's time, when they're literally swept up in, Noah's, in, they're literally swept up in the flood. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. And it's hard not to escape that interpretation. So much has it been distilled into our American brand of Christianity, even though it makes us all more anxious, not less. And I don't think that's the point of this. You see, I think a purely end times reading of today's gospel misses what is the point, because it's buried a little bit in the reading. And it's overshadowed in our minds by the parables and Noah's flood. And it's when Jesus tells us, keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. This is a call for readiness, to be always moving toward living a life that is as Christ-like as possible, to always be ready. And Paul puts it even more clearly in the Romans reading. He says, now is the moment for you to wake from sleep. We are to dress ourselves in the armor of light, to live honorably, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ as if it were an overcoat. And I love that idea, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's telling us to do something, 
not just lie around as if in a waiting room for the apocalypse, but to live more and more a life that looks like Jesus Christ. You see, we are living into the end times, but at the same time, the end times are jumping back towards us and bathing us in a little bit of its light. We are called to always be ready because as the gospel says, no one knows the day, the hour, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, only the Father, therefore be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. You see, I think we are made to deeply long for, to yearn for this time when Christ returns. Because that's where our true meaning comes from. Not in the illusions of a consumer Christmas, as appealing as they may be, and they are very appealing. We are reminded in Advent, and now more than reminded, we're called to direct our thoughts, goals, aspirations, and hopes, to direct them all to that second Advent, that second coming of Christ. Now on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, we'll gather here again to remember and celebrate the first Advent, when Jesus was born. We'll celebrate not because it means gifts and trees and such, but because God's first Advent is a reminder and a promise of the second one, of Christ's return. So how might we make ourselves more ready? How might we live a life that looks more like Jesus Christ? Now, if you're like me, the next three weeks can, or so can be some of the busiest times of the year. It's easy to get caught up in the parties and gatherings and traditions and rituals of the season, but at what cost? At the suggestion of a number of you, we're trying out a couple of experiments this Advent season to provide some ways to go deeper into the true reason for the season. The first you may have experienced when you came in this morning is what we call a contemplative order of worship, and it will take place just before the 11 o'clock service, around 1045. And it's an intentional space of quiet and reflection, including about 10 minutes of silence. It's part of an effort to find space in the quiet, and we're hoping it's a way to deepen an understanding of how putting on Jesus might look in our lives. We're also starting Noonday Prayer, led by Reverend Peggy, uh, on Mondays and Wednesdays. And that'll include time for reflection, again, another way that we find space in the quiet. At the other end of the spectrum, we're bringing back a Wednesday family feast as a chance for community and fellowship during the week. We'll gather in Parish Hall and break bread and share Eucharist and enjoy each other's company. I know this was a deeply loved part of the Advent tradition in the past, and we're looking forward to making it a way we can all live as the body of Christ outside of Sunday mornings. But in addition, I invite you all to consider ways you can put on Jesus Christ in your lives this Advent. You see, we all share that, that longing, that yearning, that hunger for meaning. Today's gospel is a reminder of what we're really hungry for. We're all starving for the joyful coming of the second advent. The time when Jesus Christ returns, the heavens descend into the new Jerusalem, and we are fully realized as our true selves of what God made us to be. In a few moments, we'll share our Eucharist, our Thanksgiving, and we'll taste the bread and the wine. And I invite you that in that tasting, consider that maybe we have a little sample, a foretaste of what salvation tastes like. And with it, we start to quench our hunger. Amen.